even a beautiful spring morning, one with a low pollen count and a cool breeze, can be devastating. Tears can well up the instant the sun hits your face, and you think, well, you had four straight days of gray clouds and rain, why now? I don't mind being sad when it looks sad outside, when the bark on the trees is extra dark, damp from soaking, bright green shoots of new leaves unfurling, vibrating with the verdant pulse of new life, the sound of a car driving by on wet asphalt. Those are fine conditions if you're going to be sad and indoors. But a nice day seems like a cruel time to have your insides in turmoil, stomach seizing up, pools of heat gathering in the bottoms of each eyelid. Now, if it were just grief, it would almost make sense. Even if you thought you had it managed or dealt with, you know better. That you're doing fine with loss is a little spell you cast on yourself each day, tricking you into thinking you can get through all of your required tasks of living without incident. And you do the same thing every day to try not to break it or deviate too much, because you know it's a fragile spell, like an old spider web in a high corner, one that's mostly dust. But then, things like Mother's Day happen, and it means a new routine, your magic disrupted, new thoughts pile in. Suddenly that reservoir of grief is joined by old feelings like financial insecurity or that sense that your body is stranger than it should be. And the pressure on the dam to hold those things back gets greater and greater. Now try not to add anything from the news or a global pandemic or how close you suddenly are to the age when your mother died. And that's also the age when your father tried to end his life. So will you make it through? What I'm saying is, thank goddess for masks, truly a boon to the grievers among us, for those who are unable to keep the feelings of all the world at bay. These masks sit high enough so that they can absorb tears. They allow us to talk silently to ourselves, to calm us down, and no one can really tell, especially if you have a low voice and can speak at just the right tone that sits below the hum of the subway train. The masks are already black, so their own kind of mourning cloth, a symbol to say that we have suffered and are suffering, and all of us are trying to deal with it. Modern loss, orphans, moving through it and allowing the feelings to come through as they do. We're going to talk about all of that and more this week. When we dab our eyes with a crumpled Kleenex we keep in our pockets at all time, and steal ourselves for another vulnerable visit to the deep night. French. Hello, it's me, Del Shiver, and I'm so happy to be your host, guide, and guru, wearing my heart on my turtleneck. For this next hour of regrets and revelations we call The Deep Night, we come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. The Gowanus is such a potent symbol of living with grief. It's just kind of gross and icky, and you can try to fix it, but somehow you're alchemically altered and will probably never be the same as you once were. Plus, you probably have an incurable sex disease. <laughs> you know, it's been 14 years of Gowanus-related content. Do you think I'm over-identifying with this body of water? Maybe. Maybe. 
I try to identify with healthy things. And there is something healthy about acceptance. I mean, the Gowanus doesn't ask for help. Others try to intervene, but we'll see how that goes. Now, I, for one, welcome some interference. And when Galinda turned me on to AG1 from Athletic Greens, well, I reached out for her enormous soft hands and placed my full head in them and started sobbing in appreciation. Folks, I start each day now with Athletic Greens, whether I'm on the road or more likely just in my sleep chamber. I reach for my glasses, phone, and a scoop of Athletic Greens in that order. It's a small change in habit that has resulted in big benefits. One scoop of the stuff mixed with water has replaced all of my many vitamin pouches and supplemental oils I was using because it contains 75 minerals, vitamins, superfoods, and adaptogens that I need. And that can all result in improved functions across the board, whether it's focus, clarity, mood, or memory. And the travel packs are great for long car trips or even a paddle down the Guanee. It ensures access to high-quality, environmentally friendly supplements at any time. Now, right now, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Now, all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Friends, I'm so fantastically honored to bring you our guest today. Rebecca Sofer is the co-founder of Modern Loss, a global movement offering creative, meaningful, and practical content and community addressing the long arc of grief. She is also co-author of the book Modern Loss, Candid Conversation About Grief, Beginner's Welcome, and an internationally recognized speaker on loss and resilience. She writes regularly across media, including the New York Times, Glamour, NBC, and CNN. She is a former producer for The Colbert Report, Rebecca has a new book out called The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. Now, I got an advanced copy, and I'm working my way through it, and I just can't imagine not having this book at the ready for when the time comes and you got to get uh, on with dealing with this stuff. This is a book uh, that you should be reaching for. It's practical, touching, compassionate, and helpful. Obviously, I recommend it. <laughs> I do, and uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, so let's go to it uh, now, this conversation about grieving and connection with Rebecca Sofer. Rebecca Sofer, welcome to the deep night. Thank you so much for having me. Um, <laughs> I wish it were like the deep night and not like blazing sun in my face at 3 p.m. right now. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, although uh, it, it is also nice that spring is is coming and, and that there's a little warmth, isn't it? I mean, it has been dark for so long. It has. Been, I mean, it has been so, so dark that I, I'm I'm I've been spending a lot of time in Western Massachusetts, and when I say so dark, I'm talking like. 1 21 p.m. sunset for most of the winter so oh, yeah i'm yeah. ready for spring <laughs> yes oh, well uh, uh, how are you doing uh, right now in this moment uh you know i'm i feel like my new answer is i'm okay-ish sure. you know i'm yeah. okay-ish i'm i'm having coffee so that's that's a nice thing always good i've yeah. realized that like a cup of coffee is like the only thing that can be everything. You know, when people are like, that's everything. Like nothing is everything. <laughs> but like sometimes a cup of coffee is everything. So yeah. I'm okay-ish, you know, like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we'll take it. 
Yeah, I will take it. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I, I will tell you, I'm very much uh, sticking to grief task today, which are the little tasks that I have to do to get through each thing. And I spent the last uh, last night and this morning assembling a piece of furniture uh, to, uh, which the purpose of which is to absorb some of the stuff from my. <laughs> Now that my father's gone from that house, there's just so much stuff that comes uh, with grief, uh, people, Rebecca. There is so much literal stuff because people have so much crap. Yes. And so much like stuff stuff. I know it is. I think that's actually the right word yeah. for like the, the, the grief experience is like so much stuff. <laughs> so much. Now, is there plenty of furniture down there? Uh, yes. Uh, would any of it fit into a Brooklyn apartment? Right. No. No. <laughs> Been there, been <laughs> yeah. there. Yes. I was, yeah, I was living in a one bedroom, a very small one bedroom on the Upper West Side when my mom died, and and also when my dad died, and 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 I had trouble fitting their entire existence into that one bedroom. Yes, and heaven forbid you had any of your own stuff still there lingering around. You have to fold that stuff into. Uh, as we said, it's a great deal, and then. Uh, are we talking about storage units? What what are we getting into? Um, oh, we're getting into me like basically deserving Manhattan mini storage to put me on one of its billboards. <laughs> like, 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 let me tell you, <laughs> they have gotten so much of my money. <laughs> <laughs> Doing all right. Um, well, uh, Rebecca, you're so kind to speak with me and, and your work has meant a great deal uh, to me. Is it the case that uh, when people experience a loss that they call you right away? And is that draining? <laughs> <laughs> Let's. <laughs> you really just like <laughs> went to the heart of the matter. Um, uh, it is the case. I have become a de facto grief doula, I guess. Um, it's not, you know, what I actively signed up to do in my life. But it, when you talk about loss all the time and you make it clear that you're someone who's like capable of having a conversation that has laughter in it and warmth then then you become the person that like 20 degrees of separation <laughs> send people to whenever there's a, a death or an illness or something because they're like oh rebecca can like she she can talk about this with you and so i do get sent um a lot of people and i I actually really value it. I, I really do. Like I'm very moved by it and I'm very appreciative because I was desperate to be sent to somebody. Um, but draining, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it would be a lie if like some, I, I think it gets draining when I forget to like take care of myself while I'm sure. doing all that. Like that's when it gets draining. Right. Like when it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Right. That's when the coffee comes into play. Yeah. <laughs> One can savor that uh, perhaps on a nice porch in Western Massachusetts or something. <laughs> I, some, it'll be my neighbors because I don't I'll just go. I'll just walk down there and hang out. <laughs> I'll tell them that you told me to do that. <laughs> OK, good. Yep. That, that should clear you. Uh, now, as it turns out, uh, you and I have a great deal in common and we did not know this going into it. I, I did not know that until I, I got the book and started reading through it. Uh, Modern Lost, the first sort of collection of things. Um, uh, not only have we both lost both of our parents, but we're both only children from the Philadelphia suburbs. I mean, that's oh. kind of uh, unusual, right? We're the only orphans from the Philadelphia <laughs> suburbs. We found each other. And by the way, yes. you, 
I think that you and I might have an even deeper connection because you're wearing an owl necklace right now. Yeah, yes. That my grandmom had the same necklace. Wow. And so when you popped up on my little screen there, the first thing I was like, oh, like what a lovely thing. And then I was like, oh my God, the owl necklace. So um, I'm sorry, are we like related or something? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> well, where, where, which Philly suburb are you from? Uh, I'm from Westchester. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm a mainline girl. Yes, I, I gather a little closer to the city. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, um, uh, yes, and I'm sure we could go uh, go into a lot of the little places that it may be familiar haunts uh, out there because I certainly spent enough time in the Newtown squares and the, uh, uh, you know. Suburban uh, squares, what have you. A lot of squares. A lot of squares, yeah. yes, yes. In fact, you said suburban square. That's the, in Ardmore. Yes. Right? That's the little shopping center, which my father helped construct when they did one of the redos there. Wow. Very yeah. fun fact for anyone who's listening. That was the first outdoor shopping center in the United States. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's what my dad would tell everyone because he was really good. He grew up in, in, in West. He actually grew up in West Philly. Um, uh -huh. And then, you know, he moved and he moved. He, I grew up in the main line and he would give the best Philadelphia tours to people who came to visit. But then he would like when people when people came back to our house and like Balakimwood, like the Philly suburbs, he, he was like, I got nothing. Like, it's like the suburbs. There's not that much interesting. But then we'd always drive by Suburban Square. He'd be like, fun fact, first outdoor shopping center in America. So, like, I know that because of my dad, because of my well, dead dad. Yeah. Yes, yes. And to segue because, back to the grief thing. Because <laughs> of my dead dad, too. So we're, we're both bringing their spirits yes, yes. <laughs> forward into the conversation. <laughs> Suburban Square. Which is nice. I had a nice uh, handful of jelly beans that I recall from that place. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> I will say in terms of the only children uh, thing, uh, this is the only moment in this moment of uh, sort of grief uh, that I would wish for a sibling. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never wanted one before, but gosh. <sighs> yeah, it, it would be nice. Look, both, both my parents died um, within four years of each other. So I was yeah. 30 when my mom died in a car accident, and I was 34 when my dad died from a heart attack. and. It definitely would have been nice to have a sibling who could, at least in the short term, like be there, not, not even like as an emotional support in the very short term, as like a logistical support, like someone to yeah. help me go through all the crap and get the death certificates, plan the funeral plan, like the outfit that they're wearing for all eternity. So it's not just like, oh my God, would they like it? Um, and then, of course, in the long term, like somebody to actually be like remember when you were such an idiot and like dad did this or you know just like laugh with you and remember with you and remind you yeah i i think that would be really nice yeah yeah it's uh because sometimes it feels like it didn't happen right totally yeah. i really have a bad memory so i legitimately sometimes feel like it didn't happen yeah. it being our childhood <laughs> yes no yeah. totally yes. like i yeah. i i i see that i was one <laughs> i was a child because i have the pictures but i don't have like so many memories like i have memories but not like the very very vivid like oh i can't i don't have the recall of like oh it was like remember that time in like you know september of 84 you know like Actually, the only thing I remember about 84 were the ads for the Olympics, sure. for the Summer Olympics. Yeah. I, I don't know why I remember that, but I remember that. <laughs> Memorable. <laughs>
<laughs> had that little eagle guy in the top hat, right? <laughs> I think. <laughs> I just remember like TV Summer Olympics, and I just remember watching that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of good Philly TV too. <laughs> good local stuff. Jim Gardner. Oh, that was an early. Oh well, no, Jim Gardner. Yes, great, great. Uh, I, I suddenly I flashed on Jim O'Brien, and and that was an early death. Uh, that we had to to deal with parachuting or something, right? That was the guy, my <laughs> Perry Gilpin's dad. I don't. Okay. I'm going down. A... <laughs> that I. Oh right, yeah. I was like a news that guy. might have been a little before my sure my vivid time, um, but we could definitely go down the Philly death <laughs> rabbit hole together. Oh, oh, well. You know, Governor Heinz and all that stuff. You know, there's yeah. a lot. You know, well, let's a lot of death out. in Philadelphia oh, and its environs. Gosh. There's yeah. no scarier local news to watch. I think. <laughs> Like you're actually right. It's terrifying. Any, but now, when you do, you go back a lot. Do you go back there? And when you go back, is it to uh, uh, sort of touch base with something that might be a memory uh, of your parents? Is there something that is indicative of that, or do you? Uh, is it more about creating new experiences, or what's your relationship to that place now? I wish I could say I went back a lot because I really miss it. Um, I moved. Uh, you know, I moved away for college. I went to Emory in in Atlanta, and then I actually lived abroad for some time. I lived in, if you can believe it, Caracas, Venezuela, um, for a couple of years after college. I worked down there, and then I moved to the really only place in the states where you're like, oh, I've lived in Spain, I've lived in Venezuela, I'm fluent in Spanish, I'm from Philly. Okay, I moved to New York, right? So that's where I moved there in 2000, and I was there. I mean, I was in Manhattan for 20 years. Um, so it was very like I I very much like for many years in New York did the whole like Amtrak shuffle where you know like it felt so nice to know that like at Thanksgiving I had to go to Penn Station and like stare at the thing and then like all of a sudden it would tell you what track it was on then everybody would like <laughs> run over each other like it was like a stampede like Pamplona running the bulls trying to get the, the Amtrak track to get to Philly and that was like such a wonderful ritual for me yeah. it really signified like home you know, like that Penn Station ticker board. Um, and when, like, I love New York. I mean, for me, it's like so home. Um, but Philly is like, Philly made me, you know? And like, that's like, I'm a Philly girl. And I, when my mom died, she was the glue that held my extended family and even like her social circles together. Like she was the hub, you know, she was the one who was like, we can always go to my mom's, my parents for Thanksgiving, for Rosh Hashanah, for whatever, Arbor Day, like whatever, like their, <laughs> their doors were the doors that were always flung open. The more the merrier, like I brought so many random ex-boyfriends and then their friends, like just, it was just like such a wonderful, warm, welcoming space and when my mom died and it was just my dad it just ceased even my dad was still like a very social person and he was quite resilient and brokenhearted without the love of his life but even still like insisted on trying to eke out like hosting some things and whatever but then when he died god i mean it really just felt like it really did feel like I had no home anymore. Like it really did. And and I told myself, and then I, I remember telling my friends who I grew up with, who still live, some of them are in the Philly area, like I don't have a home anymore. 
And they were all like, yeah, you do. Oh my God, you're from here. You'll always come back, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, is that no, I actually didn't. I had to sell their place. I had to put them in the ground in Upper Darby of all places. I mean, no offense, but it's, no. you know, like, okay. <laughs> so it's not like a place that like I was, Tina Fey is from there. So like it has some claim to fame, but like, I, no, I it's no not like a place where Darby. I'm like sitting on the Upper West Side and I'm like, I really need to get to Upper Darby so I can visit my parents' headstones. Um, and I didn't have siblings there. And I also had all these friends, but like they're, they weren't expecting me for Thanksgiving and Rosh Hashanah and everything. And so like that, I would say like the loss of that feeling of like being expected somewhere was really hard for me. That, that loss of like, oh, no one needs me to go to Penn Station. You know, like no one needs right. me to go back there. Um, that was really hard. And so I, I didn't go back for quite some time, uh, but I missed it. And then I I remember once, like, I, I think it was like my, I don't know, it was a high school reunion. And my friend Doug from Lower Marion, who's like the mayor of the main line, um, he was like, you're coming. And this was many years ago. It was it was years after my mom died. And I was like, no, I'm I'm really not. And he's like, yeah, you you literally are. And he and my mom were very close. And he's like, you're you're expected. Like you you need to come. And I remember thinking like that that was like so nice that someone said that like you like you better be there. Mm -hmm. You know, it was such a nice and needed thing for me to hear, like to have an acknowledgement that like I still was from this place, you know, um, even though it was full of like ghosts for me. Um, and I went and it was so great. And I saw all these people, most of whom I couldn't stand in high school because they were so mean to, mean to me, <laughs> but like a lot of them turned out to be like kind of normal human adults. So like, we're actually, we're cool now. Um, and the, I reconnected with all these people. And I remember like having this conversation with a couple people there and they were like, you, you don't come back a lot. And I was like, I don't, I mean, my, you know, like my, my parents aren't alive, like that, you know, it's not a thing anymore. And, um, they were like, yeah, but like, we're here. Like you can come hang out with us. Like just create, create a reason to come back. Like we're here. And that was like a really, really nice thing for me. And I think that was a turning point in my, um, feeling more like a victim in my loss, which by the way, you could totally feel like a victim. I mean, grief is the thing that happens to you. you get, it's foisted upon you. And it's not like something you choose, you know, but and you can feel like it's controlling you for so long. And that was an, I think that like, I have never ever talked about this, nor have I even thought about it until you asked me. But I think that that, that moment, that night for me was really amazing because I was like, oh, this can be my home. Like, yeah, like it, I just need to go. I just need to make a point to go. And so I don't go back a lot. I really don't like maybe once a year, but, um, in November I brought, I have two little kids now mm -hmm. and I was like, well, we're going like, let's go to Thanksgiving in Philly. And like, we didn't, I, I don't even have a lot of family there, but my uncle is there and we went and we like ate outside because my kid wasn't like, my youngest son wasn't vaccinated. We were like, it was like 30 degrees and we're like eating outside Thanksgiving in like Wayne, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Ooh. But it just felt nice to go back. And I was like, oh, it's really nice to feel like I have control over this decision right now. You know, right, right. that's like a long-winded answer, but I, I'll, I do not go back to the cemetery to visit my parents unless I happen to be there. That's something I don't do because yeah. uh, I feel lucky in a sense 
that I don't feel a, a like a real pull to that place. Uh, they're with me wherever I need to connect with them. And it also kind of lets me off the hook for like schlepping, you know. <laughs> to Upper Derby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I'd have to go to King of Prussia for my show. <laughs> oh, well, at least you can hit the mall. I can hit I the mean. mall. Uh, <laughs> KFP. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, well, you you gave us a lot there in, in that answer. Um, of course, there's... <laughs> it was a long answer. <laughs> there's... there's uh, no, I appreciate that, though, because that is... A lot of what you said also has been uh, the thing that I'm kind of cycling through, which is who am I in this moment now that that place is no longer available to me, really, um, given that uh, they are both gone. The, the home is still there. There's stuff to deal with. Uh, my dad's wife is still there. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's there's uh, a place uh, to go to. Um, but who am I without that, really? And once I deal with the things and then what am I supposed to do? Uh, part of that is the orphan uh, mentality thing. Mm. Um, uh, and just like, who am I without that attachment? And going back there recently, so much has changed that it is, uh, you know, kind of what you're talking about. It is liberating in a way to see that my kindergarten has been turned and day camp has just been turned into a literal field of dirt. <laughs> yeah. Because I okay, that makes that easy. I don't, I don't have to go back there or have, you know, whatever these these markers are of my childhood. Uh, yeah. Each place has been so the place has been so thoroughly changed that it does make it easier to kind of break from there. Mm, yeah, you know? I can see that. Yeah, I, I wonder when you when you say Philly made me uh, and that uh, is there something about uh, growing up in that area that um, affected or uh, shaped your view of death? Is there like an <laughs> image that you uh, conjure because of that? And uh, may, I'll share an example maybe and, and see if this resonates. Um, because when I think of dying, decay, the death, I think of that Pennsylvania landscape. I think of fall. I think of those scraggly black trees against a flat gray sky and a low mm. mist and a fast running creek, basically a Wyeth painting. Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Uh, it, it's, it's very <laughs> present for me. Yeah. Um, so I wondered if that was, uh, if you had something similar. Yeah. Um, that's actually really funny that you say that. And I'm really not trying to copy you, but I literally think of the same thing. I think of fall. My mom was a docent at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. Yeah. And so the Wyeth comment actually is really resonant to me because I did spend a lot of time at PAFA. Um, fun fact, hearkening back to the Suburban Square trivia, yes. PAFA was the first, it's the oldest museum, I think, in the country. Um, Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, gorgeous building, and they have a new building too. My mom was a very beloved docent there, and she would just take me on tours of all the Wyeth paintings and the whole, like, yeah, the painter's school or whatever the, whatever they called themselves. Um, I mean, I know it was like a, a nice name, um, those group of painters. And I remember, it's funny, I remember being a kid and being going on like long fall drives to Lancaster and to King of Prussia to, to, um, sorry, Valley Forge rather, um, in the huts where like the, the, um, the, uh, the soldiers lived. And I very much have a very, very vivid, like, I mean, if you're, look, like, I think I talk, I think like what I do for a living with modern loss is very life affirming and about the living, but it stems from, of course, an experience with death. So like when I think about like, 
death in Philly. I, I do. I think about fall. I think about when the trees have lost all the leaves, when the last leaf has shaken off the branch and I'm driving through Valley Forge on like a long, freaking really long like Sunday drive with my parents and listening to car talk, um, you know, or like prayer home companion, <laughs> um, pre killer scandal, sure, you know, sure. um, cause it was a long time ago. Um, and I, that's what I remember. Like, or, like W H Y Y just listening to like public radio and <laughs> being in the backseat and like, just like laughing and joking with my parents, but looking at the bleakness that I, I very, very much remember that. And like Wissahickon Valley, like all those walks. Yeah. Philly yes. is a very like early winter. <laughs> like, yeah. When I think of Philly, that area, I, I, I do. I think of springtime and I think of the beginning of winter. Right. I do. Right. I don't ever really think of like deep summer. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I'm similar. I'm, 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 Acknowledging, yes, <laughs> it's the same for me. There's a kind of melancholy that permeates along the brandy wine, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it also has the potential for that renewal too, and, and the wonderful spring and flower shows and all that kind of well, stuff. Yeah, and you have to remind yourself that, like, when you're looking at stuff that looks really bleak in nature, especially if it's like a tree or like you know, I mean, branches or whatever that like a bush that like looks like like it's dying that a lot of it is just like going in it's like re regenerating you know it's 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 about to have new growth in a few months time you know that not to get all cheesy on you but i feel like nature is kind of like the most honest witness to grief that exists hmm. because it's just raw unfiltered truth <laughs> and i think that you, if you're sitting in it, it, it can actually be quite comforting because you don't have to pretend, you know, and you can also be reminded that like, yeah, like there is, yes, there's, there's death, there's loss, but there's also renewal. And especially if you're like a, a living human who's living with loss, you really do need that reminder. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I got real into mushrooms for some of those reasons, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, well, because this life is so much a part of what they're doing. Kenneth it Square. Is, again, Kenneth Square. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> it all comes, I, says, is the Philadelphia Tourism Bureau going to sponsor this episode? Because if not, we should make a call. <laughs> they should definitely splice this into uh, KYW News Time on 1060. Um, uh -huh. uh, but anyhow, uh, 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 that, that's a wonderful way to think about it. Um, and uh, beyond the, we we could talk locally for <laughs> for a long time, um, uh, but uh, shifting into the 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 law stuff again or dipping back into that, it's all related. Um, uh, but it it also strikes me that the people that we were growing up around uh, in that area, and certainly the people that were dying and the people that were experiencing loss, were from a different era. And had a different mode of dealing with it. Certainly, in my experience, not a lot of uh, expressiveness, <laughs> not a lot of emotion on mm -hmm. display around it. Um, but really, what you're setting out to do with uh, modern loss is to give us some new tools to deal with things in a way that was so different from the models that we may have uh, been exposed to. Yeah, I am. I mean, look, I. I... I definitely didn't set out to work in the field of loss and grief. That wasn't my goal. Um, 
if you had given me the choice to to do that, I would have probably actively said, you know, like, no, <laughs> I'm nope. Um, why would I ever do that? Um, that sounds really depressing. Um, but as I told you, my mom died when I was 30. My dad died when I was 34. And when I was 30, I had recently graduated from Columbia Journalism School, got my master's in journalism. I was working for the Colbert Report. So I was just, you know, like my track was like political satire and journalism. And like, I wanted to do like really cool things and get paid very little to do them apparently. Um, and I was on that path when all of a sudden I was faced with very, very sudden and traumatic loss. I mean, my mom died in a pretty bad car accident, um, right. I guess. And, and so I realized like, oh shit, like now, I'm 30 and I'm in build mode of my life. Like I'm still like trying to work and trying to grow my career and trying to like do all the things. Cause I was, you know, I was a single New Yorker, um, who still had like college era furniture in her apartment. And I felt like I was just embarking upon adulthood at age 30, uh, which doesn't sound super weird to any New Yorker listening to this, let's be honest. Um, and, and then all of a sudden I was like, living with deep loss. So I was like, shit, how do you, how do you navigate like losing so much and also try and build so much at the same time? How do you do that? Like, how do you do both things? Where does the energy come from and the motivation? And like, where do you talk to people about it when everybody around you is also in build mode and they don't have time to stop and they don't want to sit and hear like really depressing stuff or have you be the Debbie Downer or, you know, like they don't even know what to say because we do such a bad job of talking about this stuff in casual conversation. And so Modern Loss really came out of, of my real experience of isolation being in this weird, you know, 30 year old, you know, person stage where I wasn't like 98, I wasn't four. I was just like a grown up in the world who everyone thought would get her shit together because she was like a capable grown up. But like, no, I mean, like our society does a really poor job of supporting people when we're going through this stuff and we make them feel really, really like othered and like something's wrong with them and like they should be adhering to a timeline and we don't give bereavement leave and we just suck. Um, and we don't want to like, we're generally good people. We just haven't done each other any favors by not talking about this stuff in ways that are like really normal, like with humor and with messiness and in way, you know, outside the therapist's office. Um, and so modern loss really came out of my exasperation um, over that lack of conversation in, in, in the public discourse, like of storytelling, like as a journalist, as a producer, I wanted to just share stories. I wanted to like shoot the shit with people about like what sucks about their loss. Like, how are they getting through something? You know, like what are their rituals? Like, how are they bracing for like Mother's Day? How are they getting through stuff? And like examples of resilience too. And I really wanted to hear it from somebody personally, as opposed to have somebody put their hand on my shoulder and be like, you'll be okay. Or like, it takes a year. And I'm like, okay, like, can you, like, can you now tell me how, <laughs> you know? So right. like, I just feel like this whole modern loss thing came out of wanting people to show me and not tell me. And that's, that's what it is. You know, it's a communal, you know, it's an online publication and there's upwards of more than a thousand personal essays that happen at any point after a loss. Yeah. And they're funny and they're sad and they're about sex. And they're about finance and secrets and everything. And it really all is with the goal of showing that like loss is everything. 
Yes, yeah, certainly we all experience it. Uh, it strikes me that the uh, uh, your experience with um, uh, journalism and with even the Colbert Report, the sort of talk show format, it's not dissimilar. I mean, bringing people on to maybe talk about their experience and to to because it's one thing if you wanted to hoard all that information and have the people tell you what it is and then fine, go away. And even if you just, uh, uh, yeah, you don't you don't want to keep all that stuff. You're putting it back out there. You're broadcasting it and sharing it so that others can in, engage with it as well. There is a platform for the research that you're doing and for the people that are contributing those stories. Yeah. I mean, this modern loss, complete. it's not like the Rebecca project. I'm just doing right. it because, right. you know, I, I, it's like, I'm like the hair club for men guy, you know, I like, <laughs> I'm like the president and a member, right? Like, I just know that people need to talk about this stuff and they need an ongoing invitation and maybe they don't need to talk about it for a couple months or a couple years, but they will eventually again. And we're there to catch them. Yeah. Like we're there to be like, it's cool. Like you don't have to need us every day. That's fine. You know, but like when you do, we're here. Um, so that's why I say modern loss is like, it's not a death project. It's like very, very much a life project because when you know that you have a community of people who are willing to listen to you and talk to you and see you and laugh at you over the ludicrous shit too, then it makes it really a lot easier to deal with all the other crap that comes along with like living with loss, right? Because right. you know you have some people who get it and who are willing to see you in it and witness your grief and your extended loss, you know? Right. And it's an amazing resource to have uh, now at this moment. I mean, I'm thinking 26 years ago was when I lost my mother. And mm -hmm. at that point, I had, you know, a copy of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's ah. book and a couple of weird therapists, and that was it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, but to have a community where you could uh, engage with uh, to the degree that you want to um, and uh, to share and also to read. But uh, that would be incredibly helpful to have a e network. Yeah, I mean, like I would say one of modern, our mission is basically to eradicate the stigma that surrounds talking about this stuff that, you know, it's like when, when we started this eight years ago, a lot of people were like, oh, like, what are you working on now? And I'm like, oh, because <laughs> they used to be like, oh, I'm at the Colbert Report, you know, and then it was like, oh, I'm building a website about grief and loss. And so many people would be like, that was that's so morbid. That sounds really depressing. And I would say, you know, I, I don't think it is. Um, I literally just work for Comedy Central. So I don't think it is depressing. I, I, I learned really well, you know, like when you were saying the connection between like journalism and the Colbert Report, everything like I, I, what I really learned there um, and I had known, which is why I wanted to work there is you can really get somebody to open up. You can really engage with someone and teach them and get them to keep coming back. If you serve up information that might be a little bit overwhelming in other way, in other tones with like warmth and with the right amount of levity and like self-deprecation, you know, like you, that's the only way to talk about this stuff. Like sometimes with certain people, I guess you could bash them over the head with like, you know, we will talk about grief and how like you're fucked. Like, I mean, we could do that, but then like you're no one is ever going to come back to you to keep talking. You'll just have said your one say. The reason that we have this global community of people all over the Internet and in, like our live storytelling events is because we always find different ways to approach the topic. 
you know, there are times where there isn't a lot of humor. There are times where I do live comedy events, you know, because sometimes that's your that's your key to sanity, you know. Right. Um, so that's what I learned. And, and, and that's why, you know, I think that it's really resonated with people over the years. And the the new thing that you have, the guidebook, uh, how does that differ from the previous one? Because, of course, uh, the, there's so many wonderful essays in there. Uh, uh, I like that they're short. I like them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who has time to read these days? Yeah. Well, That's well, on purpose. <laughs> and sometimes, I mean, it's heavy stuff. So to spend a lot of time with it, yeah. can, you know, it could be a lot. Um, yeah. But they're... they're the the right the appropriate <laughs> size uh, but also there's great takes on some of the kind of practical things as you were saying to yeah. the things you have, end up dealing with that are you you never really enjoy and the systems that are in place I think are still old fashioned and weird and uh, there's a financial piece to it that is uncomfortable at every level talking about the burial process or picking out an urn or for small talk rituals that come along. Right. Does the guidebook help even further with some of those things or, or, or what's the take? Yeah. Um, so it's called the Modern Loss Handbook. Um, and then the subtitle is an, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. And whereas my first book, which I co-authored with my co-founder, Gabby Berkner, uh, is mostly, a, it's really like a collection of essays that are divided up into like different umbrella topics of grief um, and loss, like, like identity and intimacy and collateral damage and absence plus time. So like, it's, it's just a beautiful book. I'm super proud of it. And I wrote extensively for it as did Gabby, but so did 40 other you know contributors which we commissioned essays from etc um and then it's like highly illustrated by this awesome illustrator peter arkel there are a lot of like infographics and whatnot um this book the format is very different um it's solo authored by myself and it is set up as something that has three goals right to help you stay there is this and there are multiple sections that aim to help you stay connected to your person there are multiple sections that help you to stay connected to yourself. And then there are sections that are meant to help you stay connected to the world around you. Because I believe that when you manage to do those three things, that's when you're really, truly like cooking with gas and like building your resilience and in a position where you can try and like carve out some meaning from whatever like shit sandwich you've been served with with grief and loss and adversity you know you can't just do it by like just staying connected to your person through memory and creating ritual and getting through the trigger days and all that stuff and remembering hard things too and there is a whole section on all of that and some of it is really it's interactive like you can write throughout this book it's not a workbook but there you can definitely write in in many parts of it um you can't just do it through that you can't just do it through like you know figuring out how to like get better sleep or learn some mindfulness techniques or learn some like yoga for grief support or read about like um like uh creative diy therapy ideas everything from like destruction to like you know uh reforming things to writing um music art everything you can't just do it through that and you can't just do it through like just, you know, building up your friend base and getting rid of the ones who aren't there for you and figuring out how to get through work, you know, how to have professional life and also deal with loss. But if you do all of them together, that's when you really feel like, you know, maybe you've got this. 
And even if you have moments where you're like, I don't have this, like I have them all the time, by the way. But in general, I have like a baseline conviction that I'll, I'll figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't at the very beginning. I didn't. I, this was the book that I really wish someone would have handed to me. Like, I really say that. This is the book that I wrote the book that I really wish someone would have been able to give to me instead of 14 edible arrangements <laughs> and seven copies of Chicken Soup for the Soul. <laughs> right. right. Well, that, that um, uh, uh, makes me think of the next sort of question there, which is um, all of this outward facing work that you've done uh, and putting it all out there and bringing people together and talking about it and things like this endlessly um, has the process of doing this next, the handbook. Do you feel like your own grief and your own process is now in a good place? I mean, have you had enough? Have you learned as well from the tools that you're putting out there? Oh, I've learned so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm definitely not like, first of all, I'm not a therapist. I'm just like someone who knows what it's like to grieve and to live with loss. Um, I don't really define myself as a grieving woman. That's why this is called modern loss. It's not called modern grief because, you know, and this is like a personal take, by the way, this is like Rebecca's, you know, view of a loss and grief and the definition for me, I feel like grieving is like this thing, this like act of, you know, like processing and the loss and living with the loss, you know, like, um, or, or, or dealing with the loss and, and being affected by the loss and, Grieving for me feels um, a little bit more like being controlled, Mm -hmm. which you certainly are, you know, throughout parts of this whole ride. Living with loss for me feels a little bit more like it's a companion in my life. It's like another presence in my life that will never go away. It's always there but I'm here too. Like I'm living too, I'm living with it. And so my life is still here. I'm still trying to work and build community and have friends and, you know, have coffee and, you know, (laughs) laugh and deal with other things and be neurotic about stupid things, you know, which I'm grateful for in some weird way, because after my mom died, I was like, I can never like, I'll never just like sit and sweat the small stuff again. I'm just going to be super existential about everything. And like, thank God I can, thank God I can be extremely stressed and neurotic about really dumb shit again, which I guess is not a thing to be grateful for. But, you know, I'm, sure. I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Jewess from both Philly and New York. So, you know, it comes hand in hand with the, with the identity. But, um, you know, I just feel like, yeah, like that's what living with loss is for me. It's more like, I'm not in control, but I can do certain things at any given moment that I know will work for me, be it like, you know, reaching out to a friend, doing an activity, thinking of a memory, you know, standing up for myself at work when work isn't standing up for me. And so that's, this book is really, you know, meant to teach you everything that I've learned personally, but also teach you what I've learned from so many thousands of members of the modern loss community around the world in terms of different viewpoints and, you know, cultures and rituals. And, um, you know, there are a lot of amazing ideas out there 
And I put a lot of them into this book. I, I've been very lucky to learn so much from so many. And I feel really grateful. And yes, that has gotten me to a better place in my own personal experience. Yeah. And does it feel like you're honoring your parents as well? It does. And I don't think that everybody has to turn their grief into a mission. I think that if you just want to like keep being an accountant and like keep, you know, like with, and if your main like your hobby is like Minecraft and, and that's all you want to do. Cool. Like keep on keeping on. Who cares? Like you don't have to like, you know, like start a nonprofit or like, you know, like whatever. You don't have to like do anything that's like visibly marking somebody's death um, to prove anything to the world about how much they meant to you. All that matters is that you live with your grief in a way that makes you feel like you're like cutting yourself a break and living it in a way that you're lost in a way that feels very personal to you and very resonant to you. And as long as it's not hurting you or anybody else, who cares what you're doing? Who cares how you're right. making yourself feel better? Who cares? And so, yeah, I mean, I think that um, my parents would be proud because first, I think it's that the modern loss community is a really beautiful thing. And I don't get a chance to stop too frequently and like kind of examine it because I, it's exhausting, you know, like I'm always in go mode and we're still in a pandemic and I still have little kids. Like I've been grieving, you know, like I've right. been struggling just alongside everybody else and I'm holding space for like all these other people and their losses. So I don't stop a lot to like, look at it, look at how it's grown and how it helps each other and everything. But I think that my parents would really be proud of that. Um, not just because that's a beautiful thing, but my dad and both my both my dad and mom were entrepreneurs. You know, they started their own things. They they started their own endeavors with a deep conviction that what they were going to start just simply needed to exist, and it thrived because of that. And I think that they would really love to know that I managed to do this. You know, um, yeah, yeah, I would think so. I, I know a piece that. Uh came together for me was I was feeling a little bit when my mother died, I felt kind of spiritually like, oh, she's everywhere. I got lots mm. of signs. We're very much in touch. And then my dad died and I was like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't feel it. But then I realized sort of the way that I'm carrying myself through the world is very similar. And it was so sort of inside of me, I couldn't see it. Um, but that felt, you know, honoring sometimes is not always a big thing it's just a sort of way of moving through the world and that's right i that's mean okay. like yeah and i think that people get into their heads they're like oh my god like i didn't run like the freaking half marathon for mom you know or like i did right. you know like i didn't like start the fund or do like the memorial lecture and i did like i literally did a memorial lecture in my mom's memory <laughs> at the pennsylvania academy for fine arts one year and I, I loved doing it and it felt amazing and then the next year i was like really overwhelmed and i was actually it was like the second year after her death and i was really in a bad place because year two for me was a lot harder than year one it was a lot more painful it felt a lot more permanent and and um, it's interesting. Uh, and I remember feeling so 
guilty that I didn't do that lecture. I said that it was going to be an annual lecture and I didn't do it. And I disappointed everyone. And I realized like, no one cares. Like my mom doesn't care. She's like literally not here. Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. I did it once. That doesn't mean you have to make this like your thing. Like just you, you know, kind of like the best advice I ever got when, when it comes to living with grief or anything really hard is like, let the day be the day, you know, let the year be the year, let the hour be the hour, you know, just like take it as it comes. And like, if you're so moved to do something big, great, do it like cool. No one says you have to do it all the time. And if you just want to do micro things that just take care of yourself, like, I think that like you living a resilient life, figuring out a way to live a meaningful life, not just in spite of, but because of what you've been through, that is the greatest way to honor somebody. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, when does the handbook come out uh, so that we can all enjoy it? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it comes out on May 17th, May 17th. Okay of the year 2022 <laughs> smack in the middle of mental health awareness month oh good so yeah just so happened to, that's when it what my pub date was pushed a couple times because of global supply chain issues yep. so yeah i'm just grateful that the shipment got to the warehouse and didn't sink to the bottom of the ocean because yeah. that has actually happened <laughs> to other books this year <laughs> right <laughs> an ocean education program uh for <laughs> yeah semester at sea yeah. <laughs> yes thank Thank you. <laughs> um, well, uh, all, I, I have many other things, of course, that I could talk with you, and maybe we'll talk again at some point. But uh, if I if I may, there was one little other signal from the universe beyond just the amulet, beyond uh, the mutual mourning of the flipboard at Penn Station. Mm -hmm. But I, I like to try and get a sense of my guests before I talk to them. And so I, I looked up an interview, and the one that came across uh, first for me, you had talked to Katie Lazarus who was mm. uh, just a dear friend of mine and uh, just the best. Um, and it was great mm. to hear you both talk. And uh, I, I, I felt her presence and encouragement in, <laughs> in that moment. So. Oh, I love that you know Katie. She was really awesome. Yeah. She, she was really, she's in, you know, she's in the book. She's yeah. my lead quote. Can I read the quote sure. for your listeners? Yeah. Okay. I got to look for it. One second, I'll be really fast. Here it is. Katie had this amazing show called Employee of the Month at Joe's Pub. And she, I, I saw her when she had Jon Stewart on the show. It was uh -huh. Jon Stewart at Joe's Pub. It was yeah. his first interview after announcing he was leaving The Daily Show. Right. She was just an amazing person and no one, or I guess so few of us knew how how incredibly ill she was at the very end. And so I kind of included this quote at the beginning of the chapter that's called Navigating and Negotiating Friendship and Social Dynamics in the book. And it's, quote, they're the people who will show up at your funeral and the ones who will show up on a Thursday. Find the ones who will show up on a Thursday. Tuesday works too, end quote. And that's, that, that's what Katie said. Yeah. Uh, she was the best, and I, I'm uh, glad for every extra moment I spent with her. And uh, she's just terrific. So, well, uh, we're, let's dedicate let's dedicate this episode to Katie. Then done. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Rebecca, thank you so much for uh, giving us so much of uh, your time and for uh, all of the work that you're doing and creating the global network as well as providing this new endeavor. Um, and just 
on a personal uh, level, thank you very much for letting me share my own experience uh, with you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for doing this podcast. And thank you for, you know, being from Philly and <laughs> giving me a reason to remember those Valley Forge rides. And well, we, we, we will have to continue this conversation off the recording. Right. But um, this has really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you. Continued success. Well, there we go. I never know how I find people with whom I have this much in common. Is it the fates that are guiding me, some kind of divine intervention? I really don't know, but I'm appreciative. I'm thankful. Now, if you're going through it, to check out the book in the online community of Modern Loss. The first uh, book, of course, a wonderful collection of essays. The new one, a practical guide that covers all the things you're going to experience uh, or uh, potentially need to deal with. Now, if you are suffering, just know you're not alone. And if you ever want to reach out, send me an email, dellradio at gmail.com. Or just know I'm out here, even on sunny days, feeling a little sad, but hoping for the best. Which, of course, is why I always try to remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is independently produced, written, and performed by James Bewley. Season 14 artwork by M.K. Cummins. Season 14 theme features lyrics and vocals by Kylie Lotz, music by Austin Lotz, and mixing by Zach Robbins. It's never too late to give Dale a positive review while hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts. But you can also tune in to Dale's Frequency on Stitcher, Podchaser, SoundCloud, and Spotify, wherever you are. Dale's right there with you. To get in touch with mindfulness tips, positive reinforcement, or just to say hello, email Dale directly at daleradio at gmail.com. Be sure to follow him on Instagram by looking up at Dale Seaver. From our being to yours, thank you for visiting The Deep Night. Move closer to your world, my friend. Take a little bit of time. Closer to your world.